My favourite conversations with people are when they share something about themselves I don't know. And I notice that the objects of our lives have so much meaning when you stop and think about them. Which got me wondering, what if some of the world's funniest and most interesting people chose three of their most treasured objects and shared the stories behind them? Stories you've never heard before. It's difficult, right? Mm. It is difficult to distill it down into three objects without just trying to, like, trick the game to be like, well, birth certificate, (laughs) passport. (laughs) That's no fun for anyone. Um, And obviously, for people that know me well, you know, you've got your obvious ones. So, like, you know... uh, Pound of cocaine, gold bullion, sure. gun. Yeah. You know, that's me. Money, yeah. fame, power. Pablo Blake. Pablo, Pablo Blake. Just condoms and handguns. <laughs> and that's a title of your autobiography as well. Which is great. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, but, then, but then you sort of go, well, that's not funny. That, like, let, what, what, you can't do silly ones. But I was walking around my house going, I. I mean, I've got silly stuff in my house. Like, well, you make it sound like you're a clown who lives in a clown house. <laughs> Is it a clown car with the doors t- come off? Tiny doors. <laughs> I've got my cream pie machine. Obviously, that is very special to me. Oversized shoes. That's how I make my living. It's <laughs> just baking those cream pies. I'm Christian O'Connell, and this is The Stuff of Legends, today with Hamish Blake. Hello, I'm Hamish Blake, um, esteemed guest of Christian O'Connell. Now, when you chat to Hamish Blake, you've got to have your A game. Seriously, it's like if you're a black belt and you think you're pretty good, and then suddenly you meet Hamish Blake, you're humbled, you're a white belt. He's just so funny, so quick. He's just on a different... He's just in a different atmosphere. And I've got to be honest, going into this, I was kind of nervous because I thought, I'd, if, he's, if it's all going to be so quick and so funny, we might miss on what this is really about. But he didn't turn up like that. He didn't have his black belt ninth down with him. He's a comedian, actor, author, one half of Australia's most successful comedy duo, Hamish and Andy. Often I get introduced as radio and television um, comedian, but there are qualifiers to that. Like, I'm not exactly a stand-up comedian, but you wouldn't... I guess people put that the word in because it's like, well, he doesn't, um, doesn't do serious stuff. So, a silly man. <laughs> He's a silly a clown. man. <laughs> a modern-day clown that lets us kick him in the ass and laugh at him as he falls over, and then he's given us nothing else. Yeah, that's me. No matter how well you think you know Hamish, his three most treasured items are about to reveal so much more. So, why don't we start, why don't we start with this? This is a book, right? I know that's, that, is, that could be a little bit of a... That's an easy option, but... In the comedy field, right, trying to trace back that feeling of going, what was the early rumblings of, like, laughter is fun. Mm. I love I love that other people are laughing, you know, that, that you can make someone else laugh. I love the idea of a joke and being in on a joke and creating a joke. This is a book. This is the book called The Far Side Gallery oh, wow. by Gary Larson. Yeah, amazing. I was obsessed with Far Side cartoons as a kid. Obsessed. For people that know them, You'll, they're like a single cell cartoon. Often, it's an absurd world presented very, it's very surreal, very seriously. It's like if it was stand up, it's Eddie Izzard. It is. It is. Which it, is very you, totally. And it, but it's you know, it's here we go. It's like a parent, couple of parents who look like they're in the fifties in America coming home. There's a witch there, like in a witch's hat. She's looking a bit sheepish and grumpy. And the dad's going, "Let me get this straight. You, we hired you to babysit the kids, and instead you cooked and ate them both in capitals. <laughs> like both is the worst part. <laughs> like one he could have withstood, but both is the worst. And she's like rolling her eyes and being a bit scolded. But I was like, 
And it's just a world of talking animals. And That's it, yeah. Cows and dogs. I remember one Gary Larson cartoon that sticks in my mind is that there's a great one where there's a dog that's rolled up on its master's bed at bedtime. They're all asleep in there. The cat's outside, really annoyed, looking into the window, and he's trying to whisper through the wind, put the dog out, yeah. put the dog out. <laughs> I love Gary Larson. That's amazing. That. So, so how old were you when you got into Gary Larson, the far side? End of primary school, start of high school, I remember, because I remember... And, and I would I would I would print out I'd buy the calendar the wall calendar and yeah. I just cut out the cartoons and I just put them all over my room like every door in my bedroom was far side cartoons like I haven't I haven't opened these books up for maybe ten years but I almost feel I used to be able to do this like totally easily I almost feel if I handed you this book and you opened to any page and you told me what was in the cartoon I could tell you the caption do that now almost let's try I mean Let's I reckon try. I've got a one in two shot I used to be able to do this flawlessly. And you know what, before you do it, like I think what I, looking back on it, because I really do see it as formative in my understanding of comedy, the effort and the subtlety that, that Gary Larson oh. would put into the comics, it was the first time where I was like, this is a guy in America that's written this weird thing and I'm opening a book here in Australia and I get it and I love it and I sort of felt like I was part of a little club. I think that's the bit that was, that pulled me in the most. Oh, these are brilliant. I've forgotten how great these yeah, were. They're the best. Okay, all right. You've got two middle-aged-looking people indoors. There's two cows in their front room. One of the cows is on their table. Oh, are they, are they, are they just sort of yelling, shoot, shoot, get out? No. Both the cows have got beers. Hang on, are they are the cows? Oh, the, one of the cows is dancing? Yes. On one the of the cows table. is dancing on one leg. He's kicking a leg yes, up. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's something... Oh, damn it. I know this. I know this cell. Go on, give me the caption. The husband of central wife. Satisfied? I warned you not to invite the cows in for a few drinks. How damn funny it, is that? It. They're great. Okay, one more. One I've got last to do one. I haven't done this for. I mean, this used to be my party trick when I was 18. So it is about 22 years ago. All right. Two elephants are stood up. One elephant is pointed to the backside of the other elephant with his. Oh, and he, goes, and he says, I can't remember the name. He's like, oh, I think you've, uh, I think you sat in something. It's like a squashed man. 10 out of 10. A squashed man on his, on his ass. Squashed man on his ass. Whoa. Like a safari. Yeah. Whoa, Frank, guess what you sat in? <laughs> yeah, Frank. There yes, you go. Larry, broke. Frank. There were always Larrys and Franks. And then I discovered a bit later on that it was like a thing that some people didn't like the far side because they thought it was a bit too weird. It was a bit too intellectual. And I think I liked that too, that I was like, all right, I, I enjoy... It was, it, there's something left field and smart about them. I enjoy getting them. I enjoy understanding yeah. them. And then when I was sort of 16 or 17, Gary Larson sort of retired and he released uh, like an anthology but where he talked about the cartoons and he talked about some of the cartoons that were too bizarre, that were too weird. And there was a few in there. There was like one which is called When Dogs Dream. And so it's a dog dreaming and there's a car upside down and the dog in his little thought bubble and the dog has got it. He's caught the car and he's like yelling like woohoo because one of his like tropes was that dogs love chasing cars. Yeah. So like dog heaven would be like cars made out of ham and stuff and dogs <laughs> catch, and they can catch the car. Sounds like a great vision of heaven to me. So in this one where dogs dream and he was like look I drew a car upside down and I wanted to make it realistic in the car and I, he was trying to move the gearbox around under the car and it's sort of like a lump and it, a lot of people thought it was the dog humping the car. <laughs> but he was, he was so he got a lot of backlash for that cartoon just with people going you're sick. Like, why would a dog dream about humping a cow? <laughs> but he was like, no, it's meant to be, like, triumphantly on top of his kill. But I remember reading it too, like, and 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 I think just going, all right, there are people in the world yeah. who make comedy and they put a lot of thought into it and they get it right a lot of the time and they get it wrong and they're trying to figure out how to do it better and, and you know, 
And here's this guy that I idolized, and he's talking about all the failures he's had where people just didn't get it, and he's laughing about them. Yeah. And I really, and that I had a real impact on me. I was like, yeah, he, it's not, he's embarrassed or ashamed because I was not a confident kid. Like I was a, you know, in, had all the normal insecurities, and then some. I guess. So were you not a drama kid? I just, I just. I was pursued. a drama kid. I right. was a drama kid. But you know, for me at that age, if I was like, if I tried to do something funny and it didn't work, I would be mortified. Yeah, because you're, you're so acutely self-conscious. Everything I, feels too fragile. And I, and I think. And I, for some weird reason, reading those books about someone going, yeah, and I had all these failures, and isn't it funny? Because you know, and having that freedom. Oh, I was like, oh, all right, that's. I didn't know that was an option that you could laugh about something not working, yeah, and that it actually becomes an even better story because it hasn't worked. Fast forwarding through my career now, I realise like so much of the best stuff always with especially with me and Andy, you know, on travel shows and things like that. All the best adventures we've had are when things don't go to plan. Yeah, and so I grew up looking for things that would maybe go off the rails. Like it seemed like a fun idea to do, and then maybe so go off building the rails. in those traps and the door not opening yeah. when it needs to open, building, or the door handle coming off. Building in the chance for things yes. to go wrong yeah. became our signature almost. So. I don't know. That was my attempt to trace back that first introduction to that idea. That's brilliant, though. Back How to beautiful. Fast Side Cartoons. That's great. Now, I could totally understand that. And his world that he built was a very playful, surreal world, wasn't it? So silly. So silly. And just a really weird world presented very seriously. This is the Stuff of Legends, today with Hamish Blake. So far, we've had Gary Larson's The Far Side Gallery Book. So what's his next treasured item? Second item. This is the only real sentimental item I could find in my because it's, it's in a box, and all the things box. that are in a box are they have importance. They need to be protected from the world. Well, this is this is. I came home one night. I guess it was like late August, September, one night, two thousand and thirteen, and I pulled out. I didn't know what this was. My, I'd been working all day. My wife gave me this, and it's a little onesie that says "World's Best Dad" oh, and a yes. positive pregnancy test. <gasps> That's how you found That's out. That's how I found out I was going to be a dad. And so, I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to take a moment now. That's incredibly moving to do that. And, I mean, it doesn't make logical sense because it's a world's best dad is written in Sharpie on a size 0000 onesie. So it actually should be world's best kid. Like, that's a very little dad. <laughs> Man, if this is the dad... I don't know where the baby is. <laughs> but I got what she was trying to do. Yeah. I, yes. I, it didn't seem like the right moment to go. Do you think it was also done like a to-do list for you? Like, <laughs> yeah. please get it right, yeah. okay? There'll be a little person in this. Yeah. And just so you know what you're meant to do is just try and be the one. Just shoot for it. He's got no one else but you to be his dad. And, and, and you've, got the, you've got the stick. You've actually got the pregnancy, pregnancy test. pregnancy test. I guess I put that in there to like really hammer at home. But in case you're like, this is shrunk, Zoe. It won't fit me. What do you mean? This is a this is a, this is a terrible outfit, and I'm not a dad. You're the worst at presents. We've got a puppy. Where's the puppy that goes in this? <laughs> so and I, I'll be the dad's not puppy. So what did it mean to you when you found out you were going to become a dad? Well, did, I mean, that's, had you been trying for a while, or because it's the best thing that's ever happened to me? I suppose I, when I was collecting my three items, I thought, well, you can't, I can't include a book about cartoons and then forget to mention my kids. But I think, I think, no, we hadn't even really been trying for a while. It happened quite quickly. I mean, literally, it was like we had one month where I was like, right, by the way, we're on. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I think as a guy, when you get told it's happening, there's a bit of you that goes, all right, well, even if we're a go today, i got nine months to get my head around yes. this. So you got a little bit of a buffer. Yeah. We tried for a month. It didn't happen. And, and you know, of course, everyone's journey is very, very different. But Zoe is quite impatient. And she was like, you need to go and get your sperm tested. And I was like, it's been one attempt. And wow. when you realize that the window's like, 
you know, hours. Yes. Like how tricky yep. it all is. I was like, do you, I don't think I need to do it. She's like, well, I'm not going to waste months and months. You got to get your sperm tested. So I was like, all right. Well, and we lived opposite a hospital. We lived in Fitzroy. In, in yeah, but I don't think you can go into any hospital and go. I'm just here to. Where do I go? Do I go in that room now. I've think. got something for you. <laughs> this yogurt bot. Well, funnily enough, it kind of almost happened like that. We, I went into the place and I said, I need to, you know, get my sperm tested. They said, right. Well, where do you live? I said, I actually live, you know, 100 meters away. And they said, well, you can do it at home if you want, and then bring it in. They said, but you've got to keep it warm. And so I was like, right. I said, I think I will do it at home. So I take my little container home, go home. So I was like, how did it go? Do you want me asking where you did it in the house? Well, I walked through the front door and Zoe goes, how did it go? I said, well, no, they said, they said I could come and play a home game. <laughs> and we all know home advantage really counts. Right. And, then, and, the, and she was working at her computer and the weirdness of going, oh, well, I'm gonna I'll help. be back down in a second. I was like, I should have stayed in the hospital. I thought going home would make it feel less weird. No. It's like, well, I'm going upstairs for a wank and <laughs> I shan't be down for four minutes. <laughs> and then you do it and they go, and then they're How like. How do you keep it warm? That's what I said to them. I was like, what do you, should I, like in a little foil bag or something? They're like, they said, no, look, honestly, people can live 10 minutes away and do it. And we say either pop it in your, if you're driving, pop it between your, in your lap, right, between your legs. Get warm. Imagine you get f- pulled over by the police. No, even worse, they go, oh, put it on your armpit. So I put it under my armpit <laughs> and there's one road I have to cross. It's a busy road in Melbourne, Alexander Parade, right? It's like three lanes, yeah, both ways, tram yeah, line. Yeah, I know where you are. Yeah, it's very busy road. Going across to the Epworth. So, or is that the Epworth? Whatever it is over there. So I'm standing there and I've never crossed a road more cautiously in my life because I'm like, if I get hit by a car and the paramedic's like, Quick, cut his clothes off. What is this? Cause, 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 what a great showbiz story that would have been wrote there. <laughs> <laughs> Always for good luck, guys. You never know when you're going to need it. So anyway, it turned out to be irrelevant. Didn't need the test. We're having quite quickly after that. So, you know, obviously having kids changed my life. How you know. did it change your life? What did, what did it mean to you when you first? So your first is a, is a beautiful boy, Sonny. Little boy, Sonny. I think it just, I mean, I had a very profound moment of going, which I, I, I loved, if just that just that like it was like a real click like a real switch went off in me which where you suddenly it's almost like a weight was lifted where i was Mm. like you know oh it's not all about me anymore and that was a great feeling i mean i hadn't actively been going around going remember it's all about me but i guess when you're in like your 20s and you know you don't have many commitments it is all about you yeah and that's sort of how we would you know you naturally live and so to just suddenly have this, uh, I welcomed it. Like it was a really joyous feeling to go and get to uh, happily kind of commit my life to this little guy and, you know, then later on his sister. And I loved that feeling. And I, and I had in a, in a very, this sounds a bit morbid, but I've talked about it before where I, was, I just suddenly realised I was going to die. Yeah. And I was so fine with that. Yeah. And I guess it was maybe it was a real, maybe just that feeling of going, I don't know, maybe it is literally primal where you're like, well, you've passed on your code. That was the point of you being here. You yeah. now have seen it, that it's successfully happened. You can die now. We have no more biological use for you. And so, but I felt like in a, in a very, very really ex- euphoric way. It's a humbling. Yeah, just a humbling. I was like, mm. oh my God, now it's, you're, you're, maybe it's that thing where like for, the, for that millisecond, you're holding planet Earth's newest member. Yeah. Like probably then... 
a half a second later, he gets pipped by someone being born in Oslo or whatever. But for, for that, you, seeing it and experiencing it through your eyes, for that instant, he held the title, kicked, yeah. like you know, newest member of the club for, for however many. And years. he's meeting the world's best dad. <laughs> yeah, and I've got the bloody t-shirt, mate, <laughs> to prove it. So that for that tiny little second, I think it was that that moment where I just was like, "Oh, this is incredible." There's a new generation. Like now, I'm switching into helping mode, and I, and that's awesome, and it's something I've that changed my life. I love it. It's the best one. Yeah, it's because uh, some performers, they struggle in the first couple of years because it is about somebody else and so much of their life and professional life uh, is all about them. Of course. And especially in our game, you, you you know, unless you're aware of it, that's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. Like, I think, I think, and we're all, we all, you're encouraged to, you're encouraged to, to be put like your that. face on a poster. Yeah. Have everyone know who you are. You yep. are very special. <laughs> <laughs> We must bow down to and, pictures of you. And unless behind the scenes you're you're going to your closest people, well, we all know that's not true and that's a bit of a joke and that's the game. Unless you're conscious of, aware of that game, I suppose you can get sucked into it and there's nothing to make you oh, more, so aware, more aware that you yeah. are nothing uh, except a, a valued member of the family who can be kicked and punched for great amusement having kids <laughs> and did you find that suddenly what you could derive joy from uh expand oh, as well because i don't realize how much time i would spend just watching a little person asleep oh, and just you know be so happy like there's nowhere else to need to be yeah looking at leaves yes it's the best you i mean see the world in a totally different way through new eyes don't just, you just pulling you know, because I think naturally you spend our day going, ah, oh, well, if I if X happens, then I'll be happy and I must get this and then yeah. I'll be happy. And that kind of like fallacy. You're of, never really fully in the moment. Yeah, that fallacy of chasing future things, yeah. whether it's like achievements or objects or, you know, accolades or whatever it is. And then with your kids, it just pulls you back. Mm. Your horizon just gets pulled right back to right now. And you do have to work at it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect at it all, but to, but to consciously be like, right, well, be here. Be on the trampoline. This game is the most important thing. Now, even if you had planned some fun, you know, you're projecting your dad hopes onto the day. If you're like, no, 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 but I've, I thought we could build a kite and then I've planned we could take it up to the park. If it's just not working and being on the trampoline today and, you know, playing No Arm Slug, one of my classics, is uh, <laughs> then that's just what you're doing for that day. And so the fun of, rem- of, like, of letting go of plans too and just pulling it back to the moment, that's the yeah. constant joy, I reckon. Yeah. And what was your childhood like? Were you close to mum and dad? or? Yeah, pretty, I'd say fairly stock standard. Normal in the sense that no one has a normal childhood, but, you no. know, normal, like older brother, younger sister, grew up in the suburbs of Melbourne, did all the regular things, did all the stuff that I thought at the time was like, this is so boring, why do we have to do that? And now I find myself making the kids do exactly <laughs> the same stuff. They're like, I remember just I couldn't think of my parents being lamer and more boring where sometimes they go come on we're going to the dandenongs for a walk yeah and as a 12 year old or 14 year old you're just like this you guys are the worst like when i'm a parent it's going to be movies <laughs> skate parks <laughs> lollies you guys stink walking in nature is gonna be the worst thing i could think of to do today and then lo and behold like without even consciously realizing it yeah we found ourselves a few weeks ago in the dandenongs <laughs> for a walk <laughs> <laughs> so you are you're doomed to repeat it. All right, last item. So another part of my life, this I'll give you a little preamble here. A little part of my life I discovered later on, maybe like when I was 30, was not so much exercise, but like 
like the idea of physically challenging yourself. I wasn't a sporty kid growing up. Like we had the option to do circus tricks or play sport at school and I just chose circus tricks. Why did you go to the Russian state circus or something? What do you mean? I really, really was option? a clown. I really was a clown. <laughs> we, well, we weren't a sporty school and so a lot, yeah. of, lot, of, lot of big schools and like private schools in Melbourne and, you know, all over will do Saturday morning sport and yeah. that was not an option for us. Wednesday afternoon was the sports allocated time. So you could, in year 11, they wouldn't let you go home if you didn't make a team. So you had to do like, we called it dud sport. You had to do like archery or lawn bowls. And for half a year we did circus tricks because it was just like (laughs) give them tennis balls, teach them how to juggle. And then in year 12, again, if you weren't a sporty kid, you could just leave on a Wednesday afternoon. You just go home. So, yeah. And I couldn't believe anyone picked sport. <laughs> like, are you guys kidding me? You're not back till 4 o'clock? I'm out of here at 1. You're covered in mud. Like you stink of Murray's fudge because it was the 90s and everyone had like spiked hair so everyone was like yep. sweating and had coconut, like rivers of coconut <laughs> running down their face because they had heaps of hair products. And I was like, this is the worst. I can't believe you guys have all fallen for this. So I wasn't a sporty kid at all. Just never appealed to me. And I... And because I was a bit of a chubby kid too, I'd always just sort of been conditioned to be like, that's just not you. Right. right. That's not who you are. Anyway, little, later on in life and through some stuff we tried to do on the radio, you know, like standard radio stuff, like I was 105 kilos and I had to like lose some weight to just just to not be 105. <laughs> that was your goal. That was my goal. <laughs> it, it, was, it was for a segment we were doing where I realised on trampolines they have a 100 kilogram weight limit. So I was trying to get what we called tramp legal. Because I, I, was, I was tramp illegal. <laughs> so I was trying to get tramp legal. And I started exercising a little bit and through a few mates when they're like, look, we do this thing, like a bit of a boxing class, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I was around about 30 at the time. Anyway, got into it. That began a whole bunch of different sort of avenues and stuff of actually doing like physical exercise. And it became, it's become quite a big part of my life. I, not so much that I'm trying to be an elite athlete anywhere, but discovering essentially, I guess, the joy of like physical suffering. Yeah. I, I have a weird thing in me where I I do like that side of things. I like being in physical pain. And so like rowing machines, I've done a marathon on a rowing machine. I've done a few tough things on a rowing machine and like long like bike rides. And I ran a marathon when I, when I were on radio because I bragged that I could beat Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes was in Who magazine or something. She'd run yep. a five and a half hour marathon. And I didn't know anything about running. I'd never run, the longest I'd ever run in my life was four kilometers at cross country at high school, which I hated. And but you were juggling at the time, don't forget. So it's tough. <laughs> you gotta remember, you gotta remember, I was on a unicycle and had, had, had giant shoes on and my grease paint was in my eyes. <laughs> but I was like, I didn't know any, I was like, I know a marathon's about 40 kilometers, but five and a half hours, that sounds like anyone could do that in five and a half hours. So it was a bit Is of. Is that what you said? A bit of smack talk happening on the radio. And Andy's like, mate, it's still difficult. I was like, I just, I mean, aren't, isn't the world record like two hours and a bit? Like five and a half. I mean, you could stop for lunch. So that was on a Friday. And then somehow, because it's FM radio, it was like, right, next Monday, he's running a marathon. He's going to beat Katie Holmes. Well, no training. No training, right? So the next Monday, I, we did it around Albert Park Lake in Melbourne. We, we sort of like measured it out. It was going to be like nine and a half laps of Albert Park Lake's running track. And I'd start at 12 o'clock. Our show was on four to six. Yep. I'd start at midday, start running. And if it worked, I should be beating Katie Holmes around about 5.29 in the afternoon. Uh, and so Andy would do the show and, like, we'd drive next to me and chat to me and stuff. And it was like I had no business running that marathon. No. And especially because Derby Day, which is a big day in the Melbourne race. Oh, right. Spring okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, huge. Derby Day was the Saturday. Yeah. And I, that morning, went with my housemates, did a practice jog of, 
of Albert Park. Went, yeah, okay, it's pretty far. Walked it, <laughs> ran it, went, okay, don't burn yourself out before Monday. You're too close to train. You should be tapering. I kind of had an idea in my head how far it was. We all went off to Derby there that day. I got very, I mean, I was 25 or something. I yeah. Quite, I went away. It's probably the biggest, one of the biggest drinking days in the enjoyed, of the year. Enjoyed the hospitality. Yes. A lot of like, there was a lot of footy players there who'd heard about the marathon on Monday, who thought like, the more I drank, the funnier they thought it was because they're like, he's going to get marathon on Monday. <laughs> Got back to our house and we traditionally had quite a large party house and so a lot of people from the races were back at our house and about two o'clock on Sunday morning, I freaked out and went, oh my God, I've got to run a marathon in 24 hours. So I staggered up to the 7-Eleven and I bought like 30 <laughs> sports drinks and <laughs> just started pounding them. And I probably drank about four or five litres of sports drinks Went to bed, woke up, thought I'd wet the bed and realised, though, I'd sweated all the salt of the sports drink out. And I was talking to a mate of mine who was a doctor. I was like, why am I sweating so much? He was like, because you've drunk all these electrolytes, but you haven't lost any electrolytes. (laughs) You haven't done any exercise. (laughs) So he's like, so my pillow was saturated. I was was in all sorts of trouble. Monday comes around. I get a two-hour massage. I was like, I can't train for this, but I can be limber. That was my whole tactic. <laughs> my whole tactic was to be limber. So I got a two-hour massage. But the, here's the weird thing. That was the first thing I remember just sort of like quietly going. For no reason, I had a voice in my head going, I, I don't know why, but I will do this. Like I've decided yeah. to do it and I'm going to do it. And it was my first real relationship with physical pain. And I had a friend at the time who was like an ex-Navy um, instructor and he was like, listen, man, when you're running, you're going to be in pain. So when the pain comes, just say to yourself, this is the pain I was expecting and I'm just going to be in pain and then stay there and it's keep running. It's a very running. zen-like kind of a bit of advice. Because it's like, if you're scared of the pain, you'll freak out. So just know now you're going to be in pain. So when it arrives, welcome it to yeah. go, I was expecting you. <laughs> I've, I've heard you stay were coming. Stay with me. <laughs> I heard you were coming. Stay with me. And I just got in this, you know, it was, I did it in, I don't want to brag, did it in five hours, 25, uh, smashed it by five minutes. But it was my first experience of going. It's incredible. You can do this. You can, you can find push this, through the you pain. You can find this part of your mentality. And, and like physical suffering, I suppose, is an easy way to test yourself, you know. Yeah. Whether you're going on a super hard bike ride or like then I, a couple of years later I rode a marathon on a, on a rowing machine. And that's a lot, like 42,000 metres on a rowing machine is a long way. Yeah. But you find out who you are, you know. That's why I like those tests because in our life, like we live sort of silly, frivolous lives. I like the seriousness of it that you can kind of bury yourself in a hole yeah. and, 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 and I enjoy seeing what happens when you're in that level of pain. But I, I also like it does have a lot of crossover into what we do, yep. like professionally too. Like all the fun, silly adventures that Annie and I have gone on, even just taking risks, that's the voice. The voice that tells you just careful, stop, you shouldn't do this, whatever. That's the voice you experience when you're running a marathon or doing a super hard thing physically. That That's your battle against that voice is like, do I believe that voice and quit and do the easy thing? Or do I have faith that on the other side of that voice, there's something good? But on the other side of that, there are gifts that you there learn about yourself. And actually going through that, it resets you a bit, doesn't it? It does. It changes you mentally. And I, I don't know who said it, but it, I think it is a saying where it's like, on, everything you want is on the other side of suffering. Yeah, it's and, so true. And the thing that I want is that mental knowledge that I, that I went there, that I did right. it because it hurt. Like I, 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 I keep going because I'm in you, pain. You kind of walk through your own fear and your own resistance. That's you are the master of your own emotions. You need to know that you had that voice telling you to stop mm. and that you didn't. Like, and, and a lot of people find it in a lot of different ways. And for me, I enjoy doing it through 
you know, completely destroying yeah. myself on... on Yeah, because they're extreme. In physical pursuits. Even doing a marathon is extreme, but then doing a marathon on a rowing machine is insane. And that I trained for, that I did train for. And by that stage, I'd sort of got a bit addicted to seeing how far I could push myself. But the motivation, like the thrill of it is the pain, which yeah. is a weird thing to say. Not everybody well, it's resistance, it. isn't it? Call it pain. We want It's the resistance, isn't yeah, it's, it? It's, it's knowing that you can meet it, I think. And yeah. it's just that thing of like... And you could stop. You could go, well, I don't need to... I'm not an athlete. I'm there's a, no reason. I mean, no. nothing could be more pointless. You're not even rowing anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> even, You're doing the opposite of rowing, really. Yeah, even bike riding, which is pretty pointless because no one asked you to ride to the top of that mountain. That's pointless. Tour de France is pointless. Get on a plane. You didn't need to do it. But it's a battle against yourself. Yeah. Of all the things, yeah, a rowing machine is the most pointless. <laughs> you literally finish where you start, and three hours later, you finish where you started. But it's, it's exhausting. It's the challenge. So here's the thing. Here's yeah, the so thing. what's the item that this represents all of this? This is a picture of my grandpa, right? He was a long-distance, middle-distance runner. That's him in front. It's two guys here. It's a black-and-white picture. This is taken in the It's 50s. like Chariots of Fire. It is. It is exactly like Chariots of Fire. Oh, aren't they ripped, though? So ripped. Look, and they just all they, they didn't and have they didn't gyms. have what we have. They didn't have electrolyte gyms. He's or? made of rope, right? So this is my, my grandpa, Don Collins. Passed away a couple of years ago, but he's he was an amazing guy. Farmer, like, you know, came... Just a great bloke. Had a great time. Taught me very early on. He's like, mate, you sh- just make sure you have more fun making your money than spending it. Wow, what great advice. And which always stuck with me because he's like, he was a farmer and he did really well and he ended up owning farms that turned into suburbs. So, you know, so by, I guess, some people's uh, assessment, they go, oh, well, he's done very well for himself as a businessman. But it wasn't what he liked. He lived a very humble life. He liked doing stuff with his mates. Yeah. He, had a, he had a great so time. He was almost successful by uh, accident. It, was it a, wasn't designed. Money, I think, to him was just like an interesting byproduct yeah. of the adventure that he was on. What a great way to live your life. Though. And so this is him. He ran. He ran. He was like Australian five-mile champion. Oh, wow. And, and he missed out on the Olympics. He was sort of peaked, you know, in between the years of the Olympics. But he carried... He, back then, he carried the torch for the 56 Melbourne Games and that was like a thing that they gave to club champions or whatever. But this is him running every Saturday morning. He'd just go off and they'll just... It's a beautiful photo. I just, you know, I know it's some um, people can't see it, but it's uh, it's like physical perfection. And he's in... He's, he's in the lead as well. That's what I noticed. Yes, he's, that's why I pointed out that he's yes. the one in the lead because it would yeah. be an interesting photo to... That's what I to say, yeah. This is I'm my hoping. grandpa. <laughs> he got consistently beaten, but he never gave up. <laughs> but what I love about that photo is... I didn't know that face when I was younger, but I know that face now. And that's like, he's in a lot of pain, but he's also euphoric in yeah. that stage. Because they, they would only, they would, they would like run one lap around the oval. They'd run out for like five miles into the bush. All the families would like sit there and eat tea and coffee and stuff. And then they'd come back for their final lap where they would just hammer it out. And and according to my mum, he was like, he would always just vomit after that. Like the finish line was, was just so extreme. What was he done just to himself. Like six or seven guys who were all amateurs. Like they were like, you know, bankers, like, you know, tractor salesmen. My grandpa's a farmer. Six or seven guys just standing around each other, just vomiting steak and eggs, which they yeah, thought was the right like You said that painful euphoria. But I, I get it. I get it. And so I keep that in my office too because I do, I, I, it's funny, like, I didn't grow up thinking that I had that other gear or that, yeah. that that sort of the ability to go to a painful place if you need to. But I do look at that and I go, he's, you know, I'm genetically he's in me. And I, I use that as a bit of, as a bit of knowledge to go, you never know what you can push yourself into doing. And for us professionally, that translates into silly things like, you know, but but to me, there's, there's correlations. It's still the same essence, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. To me, there's correlations between going, a lot of the time we've looked at, uh, you know, something, whether it's me and Andy professionally or just me professionally and going, well, there's tons of reasons, tons of safe reasons to not do that. Yeah. 
And that to me is the same thing as like being in a lot of pain on a bike. There's tons of reasons to stop. But what, you know, that feeling of like, but what if we didn't? What if we didn't? What if we just kept going, even though yeah. you could make a great argument to not do it? Yeah. What if we did the other thing? What if we did the hard thing? What would happen then? And so I like that. I like that that's... Uh, so how would you pass all of this on, this knowledge that you've learned? How do you pass it on to your kids? I was told I would get a CD of this recording and I could just leave it, <laughs> leave it to them and then I'm off. <laughs> I'm off on my bike. <laughs> I've got stuff to do. <laughs> it's a good question. I think I would... I didn't have it. I didn't sort of have it instilled in me. It's not like my grandpa ever went, come on, mate, we're going to take you for a run. Yeah. But I would like to instill in my kids the fun of just of battling yourself, the personal achievement, the fun that you can have in just, just trying to be a bit better than yesterday. Because it is only against yourself. Any but we all are everywhere. Everything we do. Everything we do is against no ourselves. Matter what you, you, we project all this into other people, but they're really just mirrors. It's what you're doing to yourself. So I think one of the things I'd be keen to instill in my kids is if they can find a quiet satisfaction of of knowing that they pushed themselves in some capacity when they wanted they know in their heart they wanted to stop that'd be a great thing i'm constantly trying to come up with different ways that you can do that i don't have a solid answer for it but that's the hope big thank you to today's legend the awesome hamish blake i've got to be honest at the end hamish and i still talk about another 20 minutes just about what we talked about and how I've had beers with Hamish and we've had chats and I thought I know him pretty well in his life story. Nope, had no idea. It was like a different person, a deeper person. So now when we go out together, we're going to be talking about Greek philosophy and so much more. I loved this chat. He showed his warm, sentimental side, reflecting on people he loved and what they meant to him. Maybe that's not surprising. He's always been a very humble comedian and honest, never up himself, despite the huge success. So make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming legends. Follow the show for free on iHeartRadio or whatever podcast app you're listening on right now. If you want to get in touch with me, check out stuffoflegendspodcast.com and say hello. I'm Christian O'Connell, and until the next time, this is The Stuff of Legends.